0: Coming up today on Guts, Grit and Great Business.
1: I came from very little money or a home where there was a lot of scarcity and challenges and eventually, by my mid-30s, became a millionaire. I have worked in the business for 30 years and it took me 20 years of working with people and their money to one day wake up and be like, this isn't healthy. You need to find an opportunity to go practice charging more and sit in that discomfort and don't back down. If people don't commit to something practical, there's a good chance it's not going to stick and change.
0: The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce-Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit, and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce-Campbell.
2: Alrighty, welcome. I am Heather Pierce Campbell, the legal website warrior. I'm an attorney and legal coach based here in Seattle, Washington, serving online information entrepreneurs throughout the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to another episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. I am super excited to welcome Lisa Peterson today. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's been a little while. So Lisa and I first connected in a mastermind. I want to say it's been well over a year ago, maybe even two years, because I think it was close to the start of my podcast and my joining our mastermind group. So it's been a little while. For those of you that don't know, Lisa, I, this is going to be fun because it's like the shortest bio I've ever read on my podcast. <laughs> Lisa Peterson is the mindful millionaire maker. As a coach, author, business growth strategist, and founder of Wealth Clinic, Lisa helps entrepreneurs and investors stop trading time for money. So simple. So to the point. I know there's a lot more to your story, Lisa, and what you're up to. I know we were just talking about your book, which if you're listening, be sure to pop over and visit the show notes. We'll share everything that Lisa wants us to share, including her book at legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Find Lisa's episode. But Lisa, you have the book, The Mindful Millionaire, and I love the color. I mean, the cover, if you are online, you'll have to pop over and check that out. But Lisa was just mentioning that day traders are using her book to stay at the top of their game, which I'm so fascinated by. So Lisa, do you want to start by telling us more about that?
1: Yeah, the work that I do has evolved definitely over the years, but I am a certified financial planner. I've been helping people with money for over 30 years. I came from very little money or a home where there was a lot of scarcity and challenges and eventually by my mid 30s became millionaire and then ultimately multi-millionaire through real estate through saving money through you know the old school way <laughs> like figuring out how to hold on to my money and I realized about 10 years ago that I had a problem with my relationship with money which is I had kind of made it way too important and I had made lots and lots of sacrifices in my life kind of worshiping money because we didn't have any growing up and I w- thought that if I had money then I would be happy and safe and and there was a turning point in my life where I was like this is kind of like a sickness and I need to understand why I make choices that I do that don't really help me live my best life in Mm. in pursuit of money. And I went on a journey to, at the time I was a financial advisor and I started asking my clients to talk to me on the side. It was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna ask you these weird questions. And it's it's not, it's gonna be awkward probably, but just answer them. And, and they'd go to tea or coffee with me, and I would ask them this question. And within five or ten minutes, the tears, the tissue, they're like, nobody's ever asked me these questions before about, you know, I just say, tell me, tell me. What your backstory is, as it pertains to money, and it would be like life changing conversations and I got so excited about it that eight and a half almost nine years ago, I walked away from the advising and started leaning into how could I actually consciously help people change their relationship with money,
2: yeah, that piece your relationship with money, right? I think some people don't think of it as a relationship and Yet, when you think about the role that money plays really in all of our lives, right? Almost as a necessity, but certainly if you have a backstory like yours, which I think truthfully a lot of people can relate to, right? I think a huge majority of people can relate to a feeling of lack or not enough or scarcity or wanting around the topic of money. And it's like, I'm always... I'm just astounded at the things that as an adult like become really central to our lives that we learn nothing about as children outside (laughs) of, right, just life experience. Like nobody's teaching us this. Nobody. I had an expert on the other day that was, he's an expert on deep listening. And he said, basically, we're all doing it wrong, but how would you know any better? Nobody actually ever teaches us how to listen the right way. And I thought, Isn't that fascinating? Like one more thing we take for granted that I never really thought about in that way, that there's a right way to do it. And most of us are doing it wrong. And I think this really parallels the money conversation. There's, I think there's a right way for the most part to do money and handle that well. And I think most of us are doing it wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, even for myself, I have an MBA in finance. I've worked in the business for 30 years and it took me 20 years of working with people and their money to one day wake up and be like, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. I may be good with money and I always had been good with money, but I wasn't good at learning or l- knowing how to live the best life. And money was preventing me. It wasn't fueling me. It was preventing me from living my best life. and. I think that there's the practical aspects of money, which is huge. And it's actually pretty darn complicated, especially as you start to build wealth. like There are so many things that I just say, and people are like, wait, stop. What did you just say? Like They would never know this if they weren't a financial expert. And so I respect that there's a lot of information to learn if you want to hold on to your money and you want to build wealth. But then there's this whole emotional piece that gets triggered. And this is actually the bigger problem for a lot of people because they either write fight, flight, freeze, mm. fawn, and then they don't make good decisions. So then they never learn the practical stuff. They're so caught up in the emotions that they can't come out of it to... Do what I did, I think, and start to make better choices for themselves, not just wealth building, but like how do you live your best life, which
2: is way more important than how much money you have. Mm. Oh, well, that piece around thinking if you do certain things with your money, or if you have a certain amount of money, or you know, whatever the story is that we tell ourselves, then we'll be happy, or then we'll, you know. We'll feel safe or we'll feel like somehow we've arrived or whatever, right? And as with anything, it's a much deeper, different kind of conversation. And I think so often we have to reverse engineer the path forward, right? Because what we think is going to be there or how we think we're going to feel is totally wrong, where it turns out we're not all that good at predicting.
1: <laughs> yeah, The big thing that I realized a few years into this business, which really changed everything and led me to writing The Mindful Millionaire, was Mm -hmm. that everyone has at least one, if not a handful of what we'll call edges, Mm -hmm. where they go from being empowered and strong, and then something happens, and they go weak, and they struggle, and my skill Maybe because of all those years of working with people and money. And then I also, side note, in 1999, there was a horrible tragedy that occurred in my family. My father was murdered and it caused me to realize that I didn't know what it meant to be happy. I really questioned like, if I even wanted to stick around. It was so traumatic that it forced me to go down... This path of spiritual discovery and meditation, that's really where I went. And so all of these years of meditation and mindfulness, 23, almost 24 years of daily meditation practice gave me insights into people at a deeper level with what was happening to them. And I started to be able to see these edges. Like it's like a Spidey sense now where I can just see them and The hardest thing for most people is this is the sea that we swim in. We don't know that that's our edge. We think that's the way it's always going to be. But if I can point out and show someone, this is what your paradigm looks like around money. Not only can I show it to them, I have practices that I help people do to release them, write a new story. And literally that edge is gone. And that when I figured out that not only did I, do this once in a while, but if somebody wants to change and they come to me, it's like instead of it being years or even months, like within a month of kind of doing the questions, letting me see what's going on inside of their life and in their, in their story, it's gone and gone like forever, which is so exciting to me. Like, I feel fortunate that it even came to that because again, I think we just get trapped and we're like, but I don't know what to change. I don't know, everything I've tried hasn't worked. And that was what I was trying to get over.
2: Yeah. Do you find that these edges as you describe them are really attached to experiences, to stories? Yeah, yeah. And
1: and the interpretation that Mm -hmm. we as a young person gave to it We think that the beliefs that we have were given to us by our parents or by a tragedy or by media. But when we get into it and we realize that in that traumatic situation, we were making, we were the creator of that belief system. We become the most empowered person on the planet because if we created it, we actually can let it go. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that, you're like, Oh my gosh, how fast can we let this go? Because uh, I don't want this anymore.
2: Right. No, it comes to mind for me. I was having a conversation with my sister the other day and, you know, same family, different experiences around money as young people, right? So I was like super kind of studious and followed the rules. And my dad was real safe, safe, save. Like I got the lecture at five years old around, like if you're paying, you know, if you're going to college, you're going to pay your own way, that kind of stuff right? So I was busy earning and saving money as a little, little person, but all the way through high school. And my sister was much more free spirited. She was more social than I was. Like there was a lot that just made her different. And and she was doing this abundance exercise, like a meditation the other day. And she was just sharing with me something that popped into her head that really surprised her like she didn't even remember it. And the reason I mention this is cuz part of my part of my next question was going to be around how many of us have stories or experiences that we don't even sometimes directly recall as related to our current interpretation around money. Right. And it really takes some digging to get there. So what she learned, she did this meditation and she learned that because it invited her to think about like some experience basically in childhood, young adulthood that was keeping her stuck around her money story. And she said, Heather, it was so fascinating what popped into my mind. She said, cause there was kind of a series of things, but they were like common things that I've looked at over the years. And it was like, nope, not it, not it, not it. And then boom. This one memory dropped in and bless my parents, but I'm going to tell a little story that, you know, people might judge them for. My mom has since passed and she was a lovely mom, but this particular experience didn't go so well for Ashley because she was at the time working. She was in high school working at like Macy's, right? Our local clothing department store. And she had bought herself a blue sweater. On credit, right? As soon as they got a job there, like the store just handed out credit cards to their employees as well, which also I find fascinating. And she bought this blue sweater and then moved off to college like like shortly after. and so what had happened is she was in the car with my parents, and they pulled up at home to get the mail and a couple things you know went wrong in what happens next, but one, they get the mail, and it includes a statement to Ashley from Macy's and they open it mom opens ashley's mail rather than handing it to her right so there's a boundary issue number 1 but two then comments on how she shouldn't be buying nice things for herself if she can't afford it right and and there anyways without going into the full story like ashley's takeaway is I can't do these nice things for myself. Like, I can't afford it, right? And she didn't even really remember that story until she did this meditation. And she was like, Heather, it was really like a poignant example of, and and probably truthfully represented representative of other things that I'm sure felt similar, you know, from childhood and growing up in relation to her own money story. But she claims even... Like the following day, things shifted for her dramatically in regards to money stuff after doing this one experience. And I just thought, you know, isn't that so interesting that as humans, like we lived the life, it was our life, and yet we still can't connect the dots on certain things that inform our current perspective.
1: Yeah, it's so true. When I first started my business, I was struggling with charging and I couldn't understand it because I mean, I have made so much money and I had such success and I was in sales. So I asked for money all the time in sales, but there was something about being in business for myself that changed mm-hmm. everything. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. And same thing like your sister, I realized in doing some shadow work and it was a like recorded questions. I'm answering these questions and what came up was. I had a deep set fear of being a greedy person. And it attributed to growing up because we struggled with money all the time. Everyone was trying to borrow money from me and I would hide it. And my family would call me selfish and greedy. And I was just had a reputation from my brother, my mom, my dad as being selfish and greedy. And it came out. And (laughs) it was funny because I mean I had to pull over I was driving I had to pull over I'm just sobbing you know like oh my gosh I had no idea I was holding on to this self-hatred about being a greedy person it sheds as those tears you know have this magical way of letting go and I think a month later I was speaking to like 800 women at this conference and I got up on the stage and I told this story and I was like Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a greedy woman. You know, like and this, if you can tell 800 women, you know, that you're a greedy person, you know you're on the other side of it of a shadow like that, but it changed everything. It was also funny is it was so empowering for the women listening. Like people were running to the back of the room not because I was selling anything, but just to talk to me because They too had one of those stories that they wanted to share with me of like, oh my gosh, just like you, I had this other thing that I was labeled or that I was so afraid of being and you saying you're this made me feel better.
2: It's so true. And I think the thing that's super unique about money is it's like, I think it can be such an obvious Representation of our values, not always, right? We certainly, we have to spend money just to survive, (laughs) you know, but it can be such a representation of our values. It feels so personal, right? It feels Mm. really personal. Like when I think about the challenges, even around having a money conversation in the context of a relationship, right? How you mentioned people go into fight, flight, fawn or freeze, right? So true. I think probably a lot of people listening can relate to that if they've ever had a challenging discussion around money in the context of a partnership or a marriage or something where, you know, you've got to figure out how to make joint decisions around something that feels really personal. All right, let's pause for a moment and hear from today's sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur who is on track to make a million or more in revenue this year in your business? If so, your business is likely facing a host of legal issues that are ripe for support. And if you are like so many of my clients at this level, you are likely tired of taking unnecessary risks and a DIY approach to legal support in your business. You're ready to tackle the mess of legal documents, fix legal gaps that you have. You want to take care of your IP, your clients, your business, and avoid unnecessary conflict and risk in the process. If this is you, and beyond just being an entrepreneur, you are a catalyst and are committed to your mission and your impact in the world, I invite you to get in touch. You could be a fit for my Catalyst Club a small business legal support program that I designed for my high-level clients just like you. You can find out more at LegalWebsiteWarrior.com. Just click on the Work With Me tab to learn more about the Catalyst Club and other ways that I support my clients, a fabulous group of world-changing entrepreneurs, I might add, You've done the initial legwork in your business and now you want to soar and you know that you can only go as high and as far as your legal foundation lets you go. So get in touch today, hop over to legalwebsitewarrior.com, click on the work with me tab. And if you have any questions, get in touch through the contact link on my site. I look forward to connecting. It would be a joy to support you on your path.
1: Yeah. And if you haven't had the opportunity to consciously become aware of why all that emotion is coming up for you, you're going to struggle in the context of that conversation about making any decisions. It's going to feel like a struggle when it doesn't have to be because logically, and this might be a problem too, our partners may not, well, typically they don't have the same beliefs. So, they're like, this is really simple. Like, why are you getting so upset about it? Or vice versa. We're saying to our partner, why are you so upset? What's happening to you? This is a simple conversation. And, and I think doing this work makes us more conscious to like, wait a minute, slow down. This isn't about the money. This is about another story or another belief or something that isn't even present right now that's coming up for us.
2: Mm. Well, and what do you say? Because I assume that there's probably a fair number of people who have done a certain amount of work around their money and around their money history, their money story, whatever you want to call it. Are there ways that we do that work wrong? Like we're looking in the wrong place for that that transformation? Can you talk to us about what you see kind of in this path of like how you do it the right way versus like other ways that we sometimes get ourselves trapped?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I hear it all the time. Oh, I've done my money work. And -hmm. then I find that they haven't changed anything practically. And I'm really adamant when I work with people that you can't just rely on the emotional release. Like maybe you had it, maybe you didn't. Sometimes people just think that, oh, it's like a thought process. There's no tears. There's no emotion. It's like, Oh, I see what wasn't working for me. Now I'm going to do it differently. That would probably be the most likely situation where nothing's going to change. If it's all your head and it isn't your heart and there isn't an emotional release, you may not have gotten to the core of what's actually holding you back. The other thing is, is let's say you do have a big shift and you talked about like your sister and what happened for her. The next step that we, we have to commit ourselves to is that I am going to go into those situations. I'm going to find places where I wouldn't have made a decision or I would have struggled, and I'm going to face it, and I'm going to do something practically. So let's say you're undercharging. Your biggest thing is within the next few days, you need to find an opportunity to go practice charging more and sit in that discomfort and don't back down because it will go away. You'll forget and you'll find a way to go back to where you were rather than creating a whole new reality, practically speaking for yourself. And it sounds like that's resonating. Like I see it all the time. People don't understand. And this is where I'm very grounded in reality, like I like spiritual principles, but I'm going to always bring them into the practical dimension, the third dimension. Like what's going to happen now as a result of that breakthrough? And if people don't commit to something practical,
2: there's a good chance it's not going to stick and change. I love that piece around actually having to take an action, not only in light of the recent, let's call it discovery or breakthrough or whatever, but because of it and actually implementing something differently, right? And I think a lot of people can get stuck around that. They might see their story, recognize parts of it for what it is, but still say, "Mm, turns out I'm just not all that good with money and I'm just going to hire somebody else to handle it for me, right? Because I see that a lot. Particularly from women who just never get to the point of feeling super empowered about their money. Yeah, there was this self
1: help book in the '60s called Psycho Cybernetics.
2: Have you heard of it? Before? I've heard of it. I have not read it. Okay, so um, Maltz,
1: I think, is his last name. But what he was a plastic surgeon this is so fascinating. Plastic surgeon who is helping people right with disfigurement and and all the things that you do as a plastic surgeon in the 60s and he's like I'm not a psychologist but what I'm noticing is some of my patients will get the work done and they become that person the, they create a new self image as a result of what they had done but a whole mess of people will get all of the work done and they will literally go about their lives as if they're still disfigured. Nothing happened and they do not change their self image. So if that's happening with plastic surgery, it's also happening with even like breakthrough work. Like you literally refuse to create a new self image. And I think this is where coaching helps. And oftentimes I kind of have to go back to people and be like, I know it feels so good that you've had this breakthrough, but I really need you to come back and like work with me a little bit further to make sure that you're creating a new self-image, a new paradigm that creates what you want rather than replicating what your comfort zone is gonna
2: bring you back to. Oh, that is so fascinating. I mean, even to the point of like, you're looking at a new face and still not accepting it. What it reminds me of is like, body dysmorphia and image dysmorphia, right? That people have where what they see is something totally different than what other people see, right? And there's no like the again, back to the power and the strength of these brains (laughs) and, and not so much brain, right? On our shoulders that can really keep us stuck Mm -hmm. and our family
1: and the media Mm -hmm. and the culture that we live in. A lot of the beliefs about money in our culture are so disempowering, especially for women. Like I think my audience is probably 80% women, 20% men. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that women didn't learn it from their families. They didn't learn money from school. They didn't learn money in their jobs. Like It's hard if you didn't decide to pursue finance like I did to learn this stuff. And then you have cultural beliefs still to this day of dependency. And, you know, I have some clients and they're like, I was trained to get married. And they're still, you know, they're at 60 years old. They're not
2: married and they're still trying to figure out money. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, how often do you see somebody... Who really truly is a phenomenal leader, let's say in their business. They do a great job in, you know, managing their personal life, but they're still falling down in the money department. I have tremendous
1: compassion for that because I say right away in the book, I'm like, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. Like you are definitely facing challenges. But just because those challenges occurred does not mean that they are, you know, causing you to have to live that way. And one of the things that I explore because I was a financial advisor for several years is what you brought up, which is this abdication versus what does it mean to have sovereignty over my money? Nobody's going to care about your money as much as you are. So you better care about it and learn about it. But when you abdicate decisions to other people, it doesn't ever go as well as it could have gone. And, you know, I still, I'll be honest with you, Heather, like this has been one of my biggest challenges. Nine years into this business, I help people with money. I focus more on the beliefs, but I would still say to this day, it's easier for me to help people with their beliefs about changing the way they think. But it's something that is It takes a lot longer to change the practical application of money. One of my friends, best friends inherited a lot of money and we have regular discussions and I'm, my mind is blown at like how hard it is to not abdicate responsibility and how our conversations will go into a rabbit hole. And she's like, how Could I ever learn all of this stuff? And I'm like, the only way is to just keep showing up for it again and again. And I'm here for you. I want to help you. I want you to not depend on, you know, these men who happen to help her. (laughs) We're going to get there. Even if it takes us 10 years, we're going to get there. That's how, that's how I think of it.
2: Well, it sounds like, I mean, so what I'm hearing, the the first piece in recognizing some of the core components or stories in our own money history, I heard you say like you really should feel an emotion. Like in my mind, what I was thinking is like a visceral reaction to remembering that particular piece of your story, right? Like pit in your stomach or, you know what I mean? Lots of grief like you had, like accepting, you know, that the reflection of what your family had labeled you as, you know, greedy around money, et cetera. Like same here. I would, I, I call myself a, you know, a former penny pincher. I totally pinch pennies and it was hundred percent because I got the lecture and I kept getting the lecture around basically you're on your own. You got to do this thing. And that involves like saving your money, figuring out a way. Right. And I didn't like it. I didn't like that I was a penny pincher, but my money story has shifted like a lot of people's do along the way. And the next part I'm hearing you say that is really a challenge is getting people to take the steps of practical application once they have the recognition that they can have a new perspective. It's like actually applying that, like how do you bring that into your life? So where do you typically start with people around that? Around the practical aspect. Yeah. The practical application for people that are like, okay, I get it. You know, and certainly I think many listening still have work to do around the original money story. Right. And yeah, we're welcome to revisit that as well. If there's things that you'd like to highlight for us, but particularly around this piece of like how you apply a new perspective or new recognition around your money story, how you want things to be moving forward. Why is it that people get so stuck? Yeah. Well, I think this is
1: what I was trying to help people with when I was writing the book, because the beginning of the book, part one is like, here's what your relationship looks like. Here's what it might be reflecting. But the second part of the book is a step-by-step process that you go through. So it's like eight steps to ask yourself those questions and then understand how your relationship is is affecting your practical decisions? And then what questions do you need to be asking yourself practically? So to get really specific, let's say you notice that you're great at making money, you're okay at saving some money, but when you get to investing it, everything falls apart. And you don't have a good track record. You invest in the stock market right before it goes down. You know, you finally save up the money, you pull the 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 trigger, as they say, and you invest, and then it goes down. Like you just see that there's a trend there. The Mindful Millionaire is meant to help you say, "Oh, I see the problems uh, that are causing me to do this." Okay, you know, well, this not so great, and then this. I'm failing because you need to have all the parts Mm -hmm. working or you're going to come up short, right? We live in a society where, what is it like 85% of people in the United States are not prepared for retirement in their sixties. So a lot of us are going to have to work a lot longer than we planned. And we're trying to make sure that you just have That preparation covered and some folks can make lots of money, but they don't have that legacy or they don't have that longer term plan. Now you know where it's showing up. It's showing up in that part. Now go into the beliefs that would cause you to not invest or to make poor decisions about investing. We're, we're talking right now and this whole crypto thing is blowing up and it doesn't surprise me. Like, It was craziness what was happening as an and I, I was a licensed financial advisor and I'm like, oh my gosh, unlicensed people are recommending for you to do all this crazy stuff with crypto. It's a, it's, it was a nightmare from my perspective, but nobody would listen to me because I sounded like negative Nelly, right? I mean, (laughs) I'm sorry, right? I had to apologize, but then now this happens and you read the articles. And people were like, Oh, they were all assuming that the other guy did the research. It, it's just craziness. Oh, so, yeah. So that would be an area that is a money block for people to have done that without doing their own due diligence would represent a block. Now you know what you're going to need to focus on changing going forward.
2: Does that make sense? Oh, oh, 100%. It it reminds me of the pattern that I look at with clients when they come to me and say, you know, all right, I want to, let's take a simple example. I want to improve or update my client services agreement, right? And I sit down and it's a much bigger process than just looking at the language on the page and deciding whether it's sufficient, right? We explore their services, how they're delivered. Is there a variety of ways? Like, Does the document actually reflect what they're doing? But then one of the questions I ask is, let's talk about red red flag scenarios that have happened with your clients in the past where they didn't understand something or something wasn't communicated well, or you had a client scenario go sideways because we can use this document to address some of those red flag scenarios and help you create a better, more qualified client, right? And it sounds like you're saying on the personal side, look into your own financial red flag scenarios. That's where the blocks are. That's what we have work to do on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about somebody picking up your book, is it a process that they can walk themselves through with just enough time and attention? Or what is your thought around like that being a likely path to success versus somebody actually working with somebody who can reflect this back to them? Right. Cause I think so often we're already limited in our perspective, right? Which is why yeah. we're where we are. Is it something though that with the help of your book, people can walk themselves through the process?
1: Most definitely. It was written that way and people have Mm -hmm. used it that way. And my goal was to give everyone everything I possibly could so -hmm. they could do the work in the book. Like I didn't hold back. What I think I found is that some people are better DIYers. They'll do it. It takes two to three months to kind of go through that process in all fairness based on the feedback that I've heard on average. Uh, because you're doing one chapter a week or two and, and coming back to it and reflecting and people will go through it two or three times. And then they're like, okay, I got it. Like, I see what's going on and I can help myself now. But then there are people who like, they know time is money. <laughs> they're
2: like, I
1: just want to get in. I want to get out. I want to get this done. <laughs> and I mean, some of these these breakthroughs like have led to millions of dollars for people that i have no idea it's it, i don't feel like i made that happen but i'm like the person showing up at the right time for the right people who understand that that time is money and i just want to get this done yeah.
2: yeah yeah absolutely well and i think people recognizing are they the person with the personality to go do the work or are they pers- are they the person with the personality that needs the hand holding or need somebody to really facilitate that process, like you say, because it's an issue of speed or actually wanting to complete it. What are the issues that you think people get particularly tripped up on as they do the work? The
1: biggest issue is that, I mean, I, I feel like people, let's, this is what's coming up for me. The more successful we become financially or you know, in our businesses the harder the work becomes because you're working on things that you have been able to avoid and still had success.
2: Like you've been able to mask those almost in a way.
1: Yes. You've been able to work around them and you don't need to change them. It's harder to, as a coach to help someone who has a really strong defined self-image of, I am successful. And there's a bit of skepticism, I think, that comes with it of like, you're probably not going to find anything because I've had so much success. And so your ego, your pride is your biggest challenge.
2: Mm, What is the pain point for people like that, right? Even I'm thinking about some of the listeners who might be like, yeah, I've really got this figured out pretty well. But like you say, they've been able to mask or they built team early. And so, you know, in some ways, it's either been supported or handled and not through their own strategy or their own dealing with the process. What ends up being the pain point for those folks who put off the work? I have somebody who
1: just reached out to me, super successful business. And his is more obvious because he was saying, no matter how much money he gets, that. Fear and that worry won't go away. So that's one. Another would be showing up in relationships, in your partner relationship. So you've got, had all this success, but the more success you get, the there's a sense that intimacy and connection is actually decreasing.
2: More challenging.
1: Yeah, it's more challenging. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because people always come to me and they're like, well, I thought I was coming to you about money. But then you found the thing that kind of opened up everything. Because, I mean, Harbecker, he says like, how we do one thing is how we do everything is probably not totally true. (laughs) But in my line of work... I sure hope not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My line of work... Find that there are these patterns that Mm -hmm. you are like, like, it's like the matrix, right? Or that Tetris game, as soon as you see it, and you let it go, you're like, Oh, my gosh, it's actually showing up in every area of my life. But I didn't know it. So it's a huge shift in not just with your money, or that one area of problem, it actually improves everything.
2: Right. Oh, it's, well, it's the pattern recognition, right? And somebody who's recognizing they have a persistent problem in relationships or it's getting worse because of the way that their money makes them feel or not feel, right? So for people that feel like they become a money target or is this relationship really about me or my money or, you know, the, the energizer bunny types who can never stop. They can never relax or rest because they're so motivated by money, right? I think there are quite a few of those that are really the fear driven from the outside. It looks like motivation or looks like, you know, a type A personality or whatever you want to call it. And really it's a fear-based motivation for some people.
1: Yeah. You don't realize, remember how I started this conversation, You, if you realize that you're not living your best life And it can come from a lot of different reasons, illness, or maybe even thinking that you might be sick or losing a loved one. Like there can be all these wake up calls in life and those wake up calls can cause you to self-reflect and kind of check, check, check. Oh my gosh. Like I am not living in the way that I thought. And then once that happens, then we become open and receptive to the idea that maybe I'm missing something. And maybe there is something that keeps me from creating that life that
2: I really want to be living. Yeah. So I'm curious, cycling back to the first question of how are day traders using your book, right? I'm not sure we got an answer to that. What are they doing with it? Well,
1: Once I found out about that, I started talking to these day traders who were saying, Oh, I'm a big fan of your work. And I started doing some of this breakthrough work with them. And let's be clear, day traders, there is a system that you learn of how to day trade. That is not the problem. The problem is the mindset of what happens to you when it isn't working. For example, when you have a bad day and these day traders, If they're not understanding of their unconscious blocks, it's like water. It runs to like the lowest, you know, place on the map. (laughs) What happens is their mindset goes to the darkest place in their past without even knowing it and they can't do the trades or they can't stay consistent with their trades so it's everything we've been talking about, but they're heavily incented, incentivized to figure out what's causing me to know all the things to do and I still can't do it or I self-sabotage and it happens fast. So the cool thing is, is when they do breakthrough work, we can see what happens the next day rather than having to wait months or you know weeks. And that is really interesting to me because what I do, it's not like scientifically proven. We're not using, I've never been to a psychologist in my life. I don't even know what they do. Like I'm looking for um, a belief mm-hmm. and a, an understanding that this is not the truth of this person. And if we can let that truth, that the, their thought that it's true, I know it's not true. If they can let it go, they're going to, their life is going to look very differently. And so day traders allow me to test and get a system to understand what's really going on for people and where do they get tripped up. It's the same
2: thing. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was fascinated by that thinking that probably had something to do with the speed in which they make financial decisions and, you know, consistently and the, the repetit like their job is based on daily trading, right? So it's it's very different than most of us who maybe have a significant financial decision to make every once in a while, right? Not yeah. daily. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. all
1: your fears rise up and you either look at them and deal with them or you
2: can't day trade ultimately. Mm-hmm. You'll lose too much money. Mm. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, I've loved this conversation and I feel like it's such a big one. And yet you've given us some real guideposts to look at, to examine in our own stories, our patterns, our habits, our relationship to money and our relationship to others and how that's impacted by money. couple questions for you. And then I want to ask a final one. So one, where do you show up online and where do you like for folks to connect with you?
1: I am on Facebook. We have a group called the Mindful Millionaire Community and I'm regularly there probably more than anywhere else. So Mindful Millionaire Community on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram at Lisa Peterson and Twitter at Lise Lewski, which is, goes way beyond um, my business, but pretty funny. So those are the, those are the places to find me.
2: Excellent. If you're listening, we will share all of Lisa's links at the show notes page, which you can find at legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Find Lisa's episode. And Lisa, I noticed that your link to your mindful millionaire community on Facebook is right on your website as well. So we will share your website, which can be found at wealthclinic.com. Two final questions. One is what do you, if you, if there was one thing that you wish most people knew, that they don't. What do you? What do you wish that was? Or what do you? What is that? Is there one thing that you wish people knew that they don't.
1: I wish people knew that money is not a yardstick mm-hmm. measurement of worth and value. I wish people knew that that's non-negotiable. That just by being born, you have value, and your life has deep meaning. and We just get, we get crossed up that money indicates value and that's
2: not a healthy way to think about it. Mm. And you're talking to a group of entrepreneurs, right? So I feel like we need to say it louder for the kids in the back that (laughs) money is not the yardstick for measuring your value. How many people get so stuck on that? Yeah, a lot. That's super powerful. And then the final question is... What action step do you wish that our listeners would go do? One thing right now that you would like people who are listening to go do.
1: So can it be at like Shameless Plug or Totally? (laughs) Can be anything. Yes. (laughs) What I'd love them to do is go to wealthclinic.com forward slash vision and check out the first chapter of the book, get a free meditation that is all about reestablishing that that value and that self-worth. So the meditation is meant to help you see where you're strong and also where you could spend a bit more time in building up the value that you feel around yourself. I think that's the biggest challenge that people struggle with.
2: Oh, I love that. If you're listening, be sure to pop over and visit that link. We will share it again at the show notes but wealthclinic.com forward slash vision. And again, you can find that on the show notes page, which are legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Lisa, it's such a joy to connect with you, learn a little bit more about your story and then just receive so much value today. I feel like people will really walk away with some things to think about. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Excellent. Well, I look forward to being in touch. And again, if you're listening, go pop over, connect with Lisa, join her Facebook group, check out her free meditation. I will be going and doing that myself. It sounds fascinating. And I know that I have more work to do in this department. So super grateful for you, Lisa.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit and Great Business Podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at legalwebsitewarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world, and we'll see you next week.